Hello and welcome again to another episode of The Heart's Desire. In this podcast, I focus on issues that affect marriage and family today, and I approach it from not only a therapeutic perspective, but also a Catholic viewpoint. My name is Greg Schutte, and I'm your host. I'm a marriage therapist and the director of Marriage Works Ohio. I'm the author of the Discovering Our Deepest Desire Catholic Marriage Enrichment Program, and I'm also a husband and father. Uh, husband to Stephanie for the past 25 years and father to seven children. So today I want to finish up this seven-part series. It's been long in coming and I apologize for how long this has been drug out. Uh, If you're listening to these for the first time, now if you're just now listening and all of them have been done, you probably didn't have to wait as long. But uh, it's, you know, it's Sometimes it's difficult to run a business and do podcasts and be a father and, you know, so on and so on. But, um, but I'm here and we're going to be talking about this seventh aspect of building a Eucharistic marriage. So if you don't remember what those other ones are, you know, feel free to go back through the other, the other podcasts that are in this series to really walk you through because it's important to know kind of the progression because all of them lead up to this final one which is understanding and feeding our spouse's needs. We need to really look inside of ourselves and, and figure out what, what we're doing to really break down our, our relationship but we also have to then focus outward to our spouse, figure out what they need, apologize for the ways that we have been neglectful or uh, have been hurtful or ways that we have you know caused that division in our marriage but you know we have to be committed to making a change and then when we get to uh, this part of being Eucharistic hopefully we have freed ourselves up from a lot of those things that hold us hold us back that lack of communication that lack of listening that lack of understanding so when we get to this point it's important that we now focus on what our spouse needs, what they're hungry for, if you, if if that makes sense to you, I like to use that analogy, because uh, we're all hungry for grace and for love, and God gives us that in the Eucharist. So the first part of this is, you know, how uh, this matches up with our walk with Christ. So first, building a Eucharistic marriage with Christ means that we go to the Eucharist. Uh, and St. Pope John Paul II once said, The Eucharist is the heart of the Church. Where Eucharistic life flourishes, there the life of the Church will blossom. So we, as um, Catholics, really need to see this as central to our faith. It's, it's the central to our lives, too, or it should be, because the Eucharist gives us life. The Eucharist is our spiritual food for strengthening us on this journey. Through the Eucharist, Christ gives us his body, blood, soul, and divinity, and through it, the grace to endure this journey. He gives it to us and loves us so much that he you know, died to give us this great gift. It's the source and summit of our faith. And so, as Christ feeds us, we are called to do the same to each other. So, again... As we go to Mass, there's all these things that I've talked about in the past uh, six um, podcasts about how do we free ourselves up to fully and freely um, and totally accept Christ in the Eucharist. So it becomes something that 
enters into us with full knowledge uh, and full receptivity. And that is, you know, that's so key to have on this journey. As we go to Mass, the pinnacle of the whole Mass is re the reception of the Eucharist. And I compare it a lot to that sexual union between man and woman, because in it Christ feeds us his flesh, and his flesh enters our flesh. And as Christ says, you know, in Scripture, and we hear him say in John 6, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. And unless you do this, you know, you're going to lack that life. And, and it's the same thing, that's why I compare it to the sexual union, because unless flesh enters into flesh, no life comes from that. Now, I know we live in a world now where we can say, well, there's all this technology, and, and things are done to, you know, artificially inseminate and all of that, but in some ways we've perverted the whole process. Not to say all of that is perverted, but in some ways we have taken you know, that natural part out of it. So again, not to get into a big discussion about that, but you know, God calls us to that one flesh union so that life can come from it. And the same thing in the Eucharist. Uh, St. Pope John Paul II again said uh, about the Eucharist, he said, from the Eucharist comes strength to live the Christian life and zeal to share that life with others. So first we go to the Eucharist to receive that grace, to, to receive that strength, so that we can then live that Eucharistic zeal in our Christian walk. So now how does that play out in our marriage? I talked about um, early on about how we are, we tend to be Eucharistic early on in dating because we listen to our uh, fiance, we listen to our girlfriend, um, whatever, wherever they are in that journey, and we listen to what it is that they're struggling with, what they like, what they dislike, and we try and feed them and help them get their needs met. Unfortunately, in marriage, we tend to forget about this. We forget to feed our spouse, or we get so busy that we stop staying in, in the know of who this person is. And when that happens, it's, it's easy to fall out of knowing what their needs are and how to feed that need. And so if we're misreading their needs, we may feed them wrongly, uh, if that's a proper way to say it. And when that happens, there can be frustration that happens. And this often happens in couples, and you see this division when we feel like we're not being fed by our spouse, or um, we're asking for one thing and we get another. So let me talk about how we are Eucharistic in our giving to each other and our feeding each other in three different areas. The first one is being Eucharistic in action. Being Eucharistic in action means that we are taking steps to do things that help feed our spouse's needs, which means we need to understand what their needs are. And if we're not taking that time, like we said in the very beginning, and really listening to them, listening to their heart, understanding what it is, and I always say it's important that we understand their needs broken down into bite-sized bits. Now, what do I mean by that? Too often I hear couples talk about, you know, this, uh, if you loved me, if you were paying attention, you would know what I need. And there is some truth to that, but 
we also have to be careful with that because often we throw that at each other, but we live in a world where we're often very busy. So it does indicate that we need to make sure that we're making more time for each other, but we also have to be gentle with each other and be willing to explain, hey, this is what I need and this is what it looks like. Let me give you an example. So if I'm working with a couple and they're upset with each other, they're not feeling fed by the other person, I'll often turn to one of the spouses and say, okay, what is it? Let, let's say I turn to the wife and I say, what is it that you need from your husband right now? What's one of the things that you need? And she may say something like, I need to feel like he loves me. I need to feel his love more. And I'll stop her in that and turn to the husband and say, okay, do you now have enough information to feed this need of your wife? She just told you what she needed. And sometimes I get a little awkward yes, and then maybe they shake their head no, and I, and I tell them to express what, they, what they're thinking. And they say, well, I think I know. Um, I think this is what, and then I stop them and I say, no, 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 not, not think, but do you know exactly what she needs? And often they'll say, no, I don't. Well, what do you need more from her in order to, to feed that need? Well, I need to know what she means by more love. I need to know what how she defines feeling that love. What, what do I need to do more of? What do I need to do less of? And I'm like, that's perfect. That's exactly what breaking it down into bite-sized bits means. Because if we're not clear, we may think that we're telling our spells often, this is what I need and you're just not listening. But sometimes we're not being specific enough. Sometimes we're not being gentle enough in how we say it and that shuts another person down. So often we need to take that time and, and really help the other person understand. And you really sometimes get out of the emotional part of it and bring that emotion down so that we can truly hear each other. So being Eucharistic in need or in action indicates that we have to understand what their needs are so that we can feed it. And so once we hear it, it's important as spouses that we act upon it. This is part of that changing our behavior, changing our pattern. It doesn't happen just because they tell us what they want. We have to actually live it out. Some examples, you know, I've, I've thrown out to people over the years I've done therapy is things like taking the kids on an outing so that your spouse can get some uninterrupted work done around the house because often we feel, you know, overwhelmed with that. Uh, stuff like spending time with each other, listening to the struggles that your spouse has uh, been dealing with at home or on the job, you know, rubbing your spouse's back when they're when they're they're in pain from a headache, or you know, keeping the house quiet so that they can take a nap. Maybe making it a point to notice something that your spouse has done around the house and thanking them for it. Maybe making dinner occasionally for your wife or your husband, depending on who's the main dinner maker, um, to give them a break so they don't have to worry about it all the time paying attention to things maybe that are broken around the house and um, you know working on trying to get those corrected sooner. So there's many ways that we can do it, but the important thing is understanding what our spouse needs, broken down into bite-sized bits so that we can feed them. So the first is Eucharistic in action. The second one is similar to the first one in that it, there is an action that's a part of this, but this is where I say being Eucharistic in our sexual union. Too many marriages today are what I call sexless marriages, where people avoid sex in marriage. 
for whatever reason. Sometimes it's because it's painful. Sometimes it's because the, the couple's not getting along. Sometimes they're older and it just it's not something that they have the desire. Or one does and the other one doesn't. Unfortunately, our sexual union, our intimacy is still very important to us in our, our relationship. Doesn't mean that you have to have it all the time, but if you if you're unable to, that's one thing. But if you're choosing not to, um, that could be working against the health of your marriage. Uh, in the Catechism, in section two three six two, it says the acts in marriage by which the intimate and chaste union of the spouses takes place are noble and honorable. The truly human performance of these acts foster the self-giving they signify, and enriches the spouses in joy and gratitude. Again, let me say that last part. These acts foster the self-giving they signify, and enriches the spouses in joy and gratitude. Our one flesh union should be a gift to each other. It's a renewal of our vows. It should be where we, it, it's a gift to one another that we freely give and freely receive. Too often today, our sexual unions are perverted in, because uh, pornography enters into it or uh, acts and activities that are, not of, that are not approved by the church or that shouldn't be done. Uh, and I'm not going to get into those. And that's something that you can really look to the church for. But the church does say that every sexual union should end in the ability or the possibility of procreation, which means that the, the release, the, the climax, should happen with that intercourse of the penis and the, and the vagina. Uh, not to get too specific there, but it is important that, that it still could lead to the possibility of a, of a child. Um, so it should be a free gift. And when we bring pornography, when we bring... Uh, other perversions in, or when we contracept our one flesh union and we put that barrier, we it goes against our free gift to one another, and it takes God out of our one flesh union. The Catechism uh, again says, and this is in section 2370, every action which, whether in an anticipation of the conjugal act or in its accomplishment, or in the development of its natural consequences, proposes, whether as an end or as a means to render procreation impossible, is intrinsically evil. Now that's a mouthful, and it's hard sometimes to, to pronounce, but basically what it's saying is anything that we do to render procreation impossible is intrinsically evil. So we have the gift in our church of uh, natural family planning. Uh, so it's just something to think about. I encourage you and your spouse to really look at that, pray about it, research it, and, and really see how it could be a benefit to your marriage. The other thing I wanted to bring up is the gift, what I call the gift of planning dates with the One Flesh Union as a part of it. Too often our our relationship can be really bogged down with trying to read signs from each other and figuring out, you know, is tonight the night? Is this a good night for us to have intercourse? But we don't talk about it. So one of the th ways to really deal with that is you can actually, you know, have this understanding that we plan 
a date, have a date night. It could be once a week. It could be once a, you know, once every other week or once a month, whatever. But there's this understanding that it, it will naturally end with that one flesh union. And what that does is it gives us something to look forward to. It can get us out of that trying to, you know, figure out if tonight's the night. And hopefully in between now and then, we're on our best behavior. So I've seen a lot of couples really benefit from that whole uh, concept. And, you know, also having a backup plan if, if things fall through or kids get sick and, and it just, you know, doesn't, doesn't happen. So again, Eucharistic in action, Eucharistic in our sexual union. And then the last word, the last one is Eucharistic in our outpouring to others, especially our children and our family. But this also goes to friends and, and the community around us. Now, with our children, it's important that we are being Eucharistic to them, building a home that's worth coming back to, a home that they um, that really feeds their soul, that really feeds their faith. And are we trying to build this? Do we have a God-centered home life, one that also builds memories around our faith, so that our kids, when they go out on their own someday and deal with the difficulties of life, they have that those memories to really draw them back into this, uh, this faith and, and something to anchor their lives on. That comes from us as a couple eucharistically outpouring to our children and being loving, being sacrificial, being gentle, and not being overbearing and uh, mean-spirited and putting them down, but rather guiding them. And then outside of our family, we are Eucharistic and when we do such things like tithing and feeding the poor and uh, doing service work to those around us, those in need. And that should flow from the natural love that you know has started there in our marriage too. The last thing I want to say about this whole Eucharistic marriage and giving is that we have to have an attitude of gratitude an attitude of gratitude. What do I mean by that? The Eucharist or Eucharista means thanksgiving. We go to Mass not to get something as much as to give to Christ that thanksgiving. And in return, He gives us His body, blood, soul, and divinity. He gives us His grace. He gives us you know, gifts just innumerable. But we're called to go and have that thanksgiving to him for all that he's given us. How much we, you know, we ought to do the same in our marriage when our spouse is giving of their life to us, feeding us, doing for us. Do we make it a regular habit to be thankful to them? Thankful for the things that they bring to our marriage, thankful for the times that they have struggled with us, and, you know, really given up a lot of, of, their own comfort, comfortability uh, for us. I thank my wife often for the fact that she bore my family seven children. Um, that's a huge sacrifice that she gave. So it's important not only to give, but also to be thankful when we're given to. In the words of St. Teresa of Calcutta, she says it's easy to love the people far away. It's not always easy to love those close to us. It is easier to give a cup of rice to relieve hunger 
than to relieve the loneliness and pain of someone unloved in our own home. Bring love into your home, for this is where our love for each other must start. Again, back to the beginning of all that I've talked about, it's our deepest desire, as as St. Augustine said, that deepest desire we have to be seen and to see another in that same way, and we're called to that in family life. And the hope is, is that, you know, if we're building this deep love, then maybe we can say to one another the same thing that Winnie the Pooh once said to Christopher Robin. He said, If you live to be a hundred, I want to live to be a hundred minus one day, so I never have to live without you. Thanks for listening, and please join me again each week as I delve into more issues that affect marriage. We are now finishing up this seven-part series, and the next uh, series, or the next thing that I, I want to bring to this whole realm is kind of what I call Stump the Chump, where it's going to be a more discussion style with uh, some others that I work with, and really to wrestle with some of the issues around marriage and family. If uh, you have any other topics that you would like to for me to touch on, feel free to contact me through my website, ourdeepestdesire.com. Uh, encourage other people to listen in, and uh, you can also go to our, that website to learn more about the Discovering Our Deepest Desire curriculum. And until next week, may God lead you deeper into discovering your heart's innermost desire. <laughs>